0: Hey y'all, this is Eric and you're listening to Southeastern Bowhunter Podcast. What's going on guys? Welcome to another episode of Southeastern Bowhunter Podcast. Uh, this episode is going to be a doozy. It's, it's going to be full of great information, so I definitely think you should pay attention. Um, I'm going to have my man T-Bone come on and you know last time we did this uh it was kind of like a little bs session you know t-bone i just pretty much met the guy and you know wanted to get to know him better and over the course of that first episode to now i like to consider t-bone a good friend of mine you know we talk pretty regularly um he always answers my questions about setups bow you know bow setups stuff like that uh anything archery related he's my man that i go to uh, I call him the guru because he, you know, is so full of knowledge and just knows, knows a lot about it. And a lot of what he says, if not everything he says, holds water compared to other people out, you know, hear say certain things. And I'm like, eh, well, let me ask T-Bone about it. And then he lays it out and it's like, oh, that actually makes sense. So um, definitely going to be a great episode. Before we get started, got to thank the sponsors. Osio Gear, like I always say, best camo in the industry. Um, Go to their website and save 10% with our promo code SEBH10. And then you'll have the best camel on the market. So why not? Next up, I want to thank Summit Tree Stands. I always say this too. Best tree stands on the market. Go to their website, summitstands.com and use our promo code SEBH15. It'll save you 15% off anything on their website. Um, I mean, why not? You know, it's it's the off season we all need to start getting new gear and you know if you're in the in the market for a new tree stand they're the way to go last but not least i want to thank urban archery outfitters and thrill the outdoors they are doing such good things for the community um if you haven't go on their website go make a hunter profile start getting products start gaining those um big game bucks so when they have their auctions you can get you know a hammer spot doesn't even have to be in georgia it doesn't even have to be in your state but you know The episode me and Chris did covers all of that, and uh, I'm not going to preach too much about it because it'll take forever, but I also want to thank my boys um, from Drawback Outdoors and AA Outdoors TV. If you haven't heard, me and JD went to our ASA qualifier shoot for the state championships this past weekend, and we got in, so, you know, now I got to start. Uh, practicing with you know for that to get better scores my score wasn't too bad but it wasn't as good as I would have liked comparing it with our equipment to what the highest score was and what their equipment was honestly I think with a little bit more practice we we should be in the running for possibly winning the state championships um double outdoors tv you know love that guy Andy Freeman awesome dude uh we were just talking a few minutes ago about his arrow setup. He's going to come on next week and we're going to dive into it um, and just pretty much what A Outdoors TV is and, you know, why he does what he does, what got him started. Um, go check him out. I mean, he covers everything, you know, outdoor related. And, you know, he's been pushing me with this podcast since day one. So awesome, dude. I really want you guys to go check them out. And uh, yeah, you know, let's get into it with T-Bone. I love this dude. He's awesome. I know a lot of y'all are fans of him, too. I've uh, been looking up to him since I was a kid. So, I'm going to stop wasting time, and let's dive into it. Alright, guys, we got my boy T-Bone in the house again. T-Bone, what's going on, big guy? Hey, man, how are you? Um, for having me back on again, Eric. Yeah, man, I love having you on. It's, it's uh, one of my most exciting things to do when we do this episode. Um, you know, people know I'm a huge fan, and... Honestly, you're, like, my go-to guru for everything arrow-related, bow-related, just hunting. I mean, you know, if I have a question, you're always the guy I turn to. So, I, like I said in the first time, I can't thank you enough for coming on. And, you know, I think it's going to be a really good episode for people to, uh, you know, learn a lot about, like, arrow setups, um, kind of what, you know, would be more ideal for what we do as far as, like, in the southeast and all of that. Um, some things that maybe people used to think that, After, I guess, rigorous testing by, you know, you and other people, um, it kind of showed some stuff that we never really knew about. So, before we dive into that, how have you been, man? What's been going on? I've been doing good, man. Just uh, slow and steady. Just reminded that I'm getting older, you know, as time goes on, but, you know, I'm very
1: blessed. Of course, I'm still rehabbing with, uh, you know, losing my leg last year, but we're shooting our bows. Uh, been working on bows quite a lot hunting a little bit um, we have our Thursday night little get togethers with the fellows, and um, you know my son he actually been getting him through high school actually he finished all his courses and everything
0: early so he he's been out of school for two weeks already he's just waiting on graduation now so uh, we're pretty proud of that and uh, that's about it man just, just enjoying each day to the fullest I heard that man that's crazy I remember graduating high school that was a Whew, boy that was 10 years ago that was a that was a hell of a time <laughs> so yeah, we didn't I can only imagine of getting early. You know, he's got the option whereas now you know they do so many things on computers he he can learn at his own pace and go at his own pace
1: whereas you know when not not that not that I wanted to go faster I needed every minute I could in the class but but uh you know they got the option and he learns at a real fast rate so he you know he jumped on there and knocked it all out so he's pretty pumped
0: about that he's having to do more chores he ain't liking that too much i think he wishes have stayed in school now <laughs> yeah man i i'm glad they didn't have that when i was in high school because i probably wouldn't have graduated I, if i didn't have to be there i wouldn't have been there let's put it that way so <laughs>
2: too many used to be caught and critters
0: to be hunted yep well back then i was running uh asphalt uh racing and all that so i probably would have spent all my time in the shop but uh, yeah. yeah, that uh, if I was hunting then, that's definitely what I would have been doing—is being in the woods and not, not at school. Gotcha. But you know, I mean, that's not really a good thing to try and tell the kids. My daughter he- heard me say that; she'd probably be like, "Well, why do I have to go then?" And yeah. I'd be like, "Well, <laughs> don't make the same mistakes I did." But exactly. um, cool, man. Well, something I'm, you know, i you know—I I've been meaning to ask you: What's uh, before we dive into like the arrow build stuff and just the whole thing with that? What um? How, what's going on with the leg? Is there any update on that? Like, did they finally? Yeah, I, yeah, I did get my prosthetic leg, but uh, in doing so, I'm a I'm an
1: above the knee uh, amputee, mm-hmm. and I only have like a, just to be honest, I only have like a nine inch stump, so I don't really have a extremely long stump. Mm-hmm. So you know, the higher above the knee, the more um, the, the bigger of a hurdle it is, and then plus you know me being a big guy, that's the biggest hurdle. So to be honest with you, I've been rehabbing some, but the biggest, my biggest hurdle is just uh, trying to lose some weight, so I've been trying to, you know, cut back and lose weight, and I am, but it's a much slower pace because I'm not able to walk around and be as active as I was before, so, um, you know, my, my biggest thing right now is, uh, you know, i got a walker and I have my wheelchair and I can drive, I have hand controls I can drive with and stuff, so I'm able to get around and do, do some things, but before I can get proficient with the the leg, I you know I need to continue rehabbing and continue to lose weight and hopefully add some more weight pulls off,
0: um, you know to get easier and easier. So that that's that's my biggest hurdle right now. Gotcha. So what you're saying is next year you're going to Colorado so you can bound up those mountains. Yeah. <laughs> hey man, I'm thinking just baby steps. If I can get a couple hundred yards from the truck and not have to have a vehicle, that's that's a. Actually, my biggest goal is to be able to proficiently get back into my skid steer and my mm-hmm. tractor. And, uh you know, my lawnmower, be able to do that kind of stuff. That's my number one goal because I'm able to hunt now, you know, between vehicles and off the road wheelchairs. I'm able to do that now. So, um, the, the, uh, the other thing is, man, I really miss my skid steer. I'm so addicted to that. <laughs> yeah, I remember you telling me about that last time and uh you enlightened me to what a skid steer even is. But, um oh, yeah. yeah, man, I mean, right now is kind of the time, you know, to get spring plots in and stuff. I tried doing one, like a little clover plot, and it, I went today um, to you know freshen up some batteries and stuff, and it it did. let's just say it didn't come out well. Um, I don't think my green thumb is as green as it used to be, but uh, you know it, that whole thing's a part of learning. But you know I'm glad you finally got it, man, because um, I remember last time you know it was kind of up in the air, like you know them fighting you on it, and I'm sure it's a huge kind of like a huge learning curve. You know, I mean I, I can't think of any time in my life I've had to do anything even remotely similar, but. You know that's awesome that you've got it, and I'm I'm super stoked for you, man. Cause you know I know that you'll get to the point where you know it's more comfortable, and and you know you'll be able to get back in that skid steer and and be out there. And you know I'm happy to hear that you went hunting. I know you told me about it during season, uh, how it all went and everything. So yep. I'm happy for you, man. I really am. God's uh God's hitting you with those blessings right now for sure. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, now with the with the prosthetic, I mean. I
1: can walk on it, but um, the thing is, is like when you have something like that, when you're a little older and, and bigger and stuff like that, I gotta protect what I've got. Meaning yeah. I, I can't afford to fail. It's not just like, you know, like a kid learning to ride a bike, they can fall a few times and no big deal. Whereas if I fall, like I, I fell a couple of months ago, uh, going down the ramp, my um, weight shifted forward and I fell out of my uh, wheelchair and I jammed my right shoulder up. So right. I, I have it. there was about a, about six weeks there I didn't shoot my bow because my shoulder was jammed up so whenever I jam a shoulder up or hurt an arm or a knee you know I've only got one knee left that hurts my mobility as far as being able to do the day-to-day things like you know transferring into a shower being able to get into a truck being able to go to the bathroom those kind of things so I've got to I got to be real cautious and save what I've got and not you know I, I just can't go out there and like a bull rider, and just try it, and you know, once you fall down, you get back up. You yeah. got to try, but you got to make sure that whatever you're trying, you can 100% do without failing. So
0: uh, I got to be real cautious when I am rehabbing and trying because I can't afford to fall too many more times. It'll it'll uh, set me back even further. So I got to protect what I got. Yeah, man, we don't want we don't want you getting hurt. That's uh, no. <laughs> that's definitely not something that uh, I think anybody wants. But okay. hey. You got the leg So you know Like I said It's a learning curve And like you said Baby steps So No matter how long it takes I know you'll get there um, You know It's just A new a new chapter in your life To you know Start writing the pages in Yep sure We're still blessed And, and just slow and steady that's our, that's our motto We're just Slow and steady Try to be a little better Than we was yesterday. Yes sir Cool man Well I'm glad to hear that So now um, I want to dive into I have a lot of really a lot of questions, but something that, I guess I'll, I'll start it off like this. So with all the stuff you've told me over, you know, almost a, I guess probably half a year, a little bit longer than that. Um, whenever I've reached out about like arrow stuff, cause you know, I'm always trying to learn. Um, you've told me a lot about like FOC, uh, weight distribution, you know, certain types of arrow weights to shoot with a certain bow setup. And I got a, two buddies actually, my buddy JD who, has, who runs Drawback Outdoors and then another buddy of mine named Andy who has a YouTube channel called Double A Outdoors TV. And they both, you know, if I have any, any issues, um, you know, so I don't bother you all the time, I'll hit up JD sometimes about my bow, but when it comes to arrows, I kind of do my own thing and if I hit like a, you know, a roadblock or something or something that doesn't make sense... I'll ask you, and you always clear it up. So they've been starting to ask me, like, hey, what do you think? And they both asked me to pretty much ask you about their setups. Um, And the thing is, like, I always preach, you know, high FOC but not too much arrow weight for what your setup is. Would you agree with that? Well, it's uh, the the way I uh, would
1: approach to someone – it, it, it all depends on what your end result is trying to be. Like if you're building a 3D bow or... Uh, it, I'm assuming we're talking about the meat and potatoes, the average bow hunting setup. Yes. And then for someone that's shooting something that's, you know, basically a mule deer size or less, or someone that is bow hunting in the southeast, if, we're, if that's what we're trying to fit under the umbrella, then what I would tell a person or what I like to tell a person is to shoot as much weight the first thing you do is to shoot as much weight as you can pull comfortably. And I can't stress comfortably a lot. That don't mean that you walk it all around the room or walk it all around the yard to pull back. I mean, sitting down with the tops of your thighs parallel with the ground and, you know, slightly lift your heels off the ground. And if you can pull that bow back, that's a comfortable weight. So let's just say that ends up being 65 pounds. So then you take 65 pounds and you build yourself an arrow. With a number in mind of around 500 grains, let's just shoot for 500. If if the bow is efficient enough, then you might can stand to go a little heavier, but let's just shoot 500 grains. So you build an arrow. It could be, it don't have to be the right FOC. You just want to see how efficient your bow is at 65 pounds, at your draw length, the way you have the ring, string rig, shoot it through the uh, chronograph at 500 grains and see where you're at a window to try to be, in my opinion, is about 245 to about 290. Okay. If your bow happens to shoot that faster than 290, which most bows wouldn't, but let's just say that it's extremely fast and you're really, then rather than keeping the bow, keeping the arrow heavy, that means you've got something to work with. You can slow it down because the difference in your pin gap from 40 yards and under whether you're shooting 270 feet per second or you're shooting 320 feet per second, you really can't shoot that difference uh, under 35 yards. You have to go beyond, say, 40, 45, 50 to see a difference in your pin gap. So I would take the speed of that bow if it happens to be real fast and you're shooting a 500 grain arrow, you know, upwards of, you know, 290, 300 foot a second. That leaves yourself room for arrow. If you're comfortably pulling the pound, it's then what i would do is you can shoot a heavier arrow or then you can manipulate the arrow by putting more weight in the front so get you know a different type of arrow or or, you know something that's lighter grains per inch so that you can concentrate the mass weight in the front but always keep in mind that when you're doing this that you want to make sure that the arrow has adequate spine so if these charts that you're reading suggest that you shoot like a 340 spine or a 400 spine i would always recommend going one spine stiffer Mm -hmm. because too stiff of a spine when shooting a drop away style rest or a shoot through style rest and and a release is not a problem with too stiff because once the arrow is stiff enough to absorb the energy that the bow is transferring to it it's not really a problem as far as tuning goes but if you're shooting too weak of a spine let's just say you've got a 400 spine and then you go ahead and throw 115 grain insert and a 100 grain broadhead on there, well that's gonna break that spine down and it's not gonna be able to handle it. So therefore tuning issues, you're always gonna have a weak spine error and it's not gonna perform well for you. So make sure to always err on the too stiff of an arrow so that it's absorbing and it leaves yourself room to manipulate and to play with the FOC. You can add more weight and not worry about breaking down the spine of the arrow. And then whatever that ends up being, if your speed ends up being 255, try to work towards 13% FOC or higher. Um, I I would say a minimum of of a 12, it would be the minimum that I would hunt with, but Mm -hmm. I would aim for that 15 to 20, the the 20, 15 to 20% FOC is what I would be shooting for. And then to have your arrow, whatever your arrow ends up weighing to get the speed that you want, and that speed window, like I said, would be like 245, 250, up to about 290. Uh, like right now, I'm shooting like 524 grains, 17 and a half percent FOC. I'm shooting uh, 66 pounds, and I'm shooting like 273. So um, that's you know that that's it's a real quiet era. The bow performs real well, it's real forgiving, high FOC, so it's gonna perform well in the wind, it's gonna be forgiving, and it's gonna have, um, we say kinetic energy, but it's more of foot-pounds of torque, or not torque, but it's more foot-pounds of energy that transfers into the critter and penetration. So, you know, if you're weighing the pros and cons on everything, um, that's a, a better setup to go. Now, some people may end up not being at 500 grains, that may magic number at your weight, your draw length and everything, and the speed you're trying to get, you know, in that 260, 70 range, it may end up being like 480, 475. You know, it's naturally heavy does penetrate better, but I would go for the better performing arrow at 475, all categories, more so than saying you know, I'm extremely slow, I'm only shooting 240, but T-Bone said I need to shoot 510 grains. I'm, I'm not saying that, I'm saying you've got, you, in each category you can, afford, you can afford to have a happy medium and everything so that you're hitting on all cylinders in every category, meaning weight of the arrow, weight of the bow, speed of the arrow, FOC, spine, all of those things, there's a there's a window or a margin in there. You can make sure that they hit on all cylinders, so that uh, you're not you're not shining in one category, but then you're really sucking hind tit on another category. If that makes sense. Yeah. So it's not like the deer's not going to know. Like, well, he's not going to laugh at you. Well, you should have had ten more grains of error. <laughs> you know, that's not the way. It's, at the end of the day, people need to realize this. Whether it's Practicing, at the end of the day, accuracy always wins. Meaning like, you could be shooting with a cylinder, a cinder block, you know, and you could be shooting with a 1400 grain arrow, but if your bow is so slow that you're missing deer and you're not hitting what you're aiming at, and it's not able to perform to, the, to your knees, if it's not where the deer's at, it doesn't matter how heavy that is, it doesn't matter how good it penetrates, you've gotta have something that's gonna help with your trajectory, Uh, help with your confidence, because confidence and accuracy always wins. Um, I mean, always wins. So I would rather, if you can shoot so much better with a 450 grain arrow versus a 510 grain arrow, then I would say lean more towards the 450 grain arrow. However, I don't think you're going to see that because you gain so much more forgiveness, you know, by getting a slightly heavier arrow, Mm -hmm. more FOC, correct spine, the bow's going to perform better, and it's going to transfer that energy better. You'll see that the the, the bow like when you try to get on that ragged edge and those those people that are trying to shoot 400 grains or or you know under 400 grains it really makes you have to be
0: a perfect machine like archer because it magnifies all the flaws in your form. Mhm. Yeah, <laughs> so that helped out a little bit. It did. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I have so many questions and so many things are running through my head <laughs> when you were saying that. Um, so the thing that god, I don't even know what to ask first. Let's start with this. So, what would you say in an arrow build would be more important? Um, having like in order to get that range of FOC, because I have a buddy of mine, Andy, who just got he so he got some arrows like two months ago, and you know, he texted me and was like, Hey, I'm thinking about getting this, and I'm like, All right, cool, we'll try to keep it within like what you said, you know, 450 ish, a little bit higher, maybe. he's shooting 60 pounds at 29 inches and i'm shooting 60 pounds at 28 and i found anywhere between 445 and about 470 ish i'm still within that window of speed that i would like you know anything above 250 i'm happy with and i've noticed that my bow likes that arrow range because i was shooting. I think 511 grains last year after i got those victories uh after our first episode and dude my math was way off i was using lighted knocks that were like 30 grains i had you know i thought my foc was up there it turns out it was like <clears> 13 percent and i had an issue with a you know a pass through on pickles uh with the mega meat and i don't know if that's because you know it Hit a bone and it got stopped or what the deal was i mean my bow i killed him with was i think 315 ibo which i know is sort of on the lower end but then i upgraded to a bear paradox that has 330 ibo but it only maxes out at 60 pounds so i was shooting you know my arrows with that but what i noticed was and this could have been my rest because at the time i was using a whisker biscuit now i've changed over to a drop away and uh, what I was noticing last season was that my arrows would kick left no matter what I did, and especially at 30 yards, it would kick left when it would hit the target. And that's with broadhead, that's with field tip, that's with four-fletch, three-fletch, lighted knock, no lighted knock. I could not figure it out. And What kind of, kind of target were you shooting? Uh, just a 3D Reinhardt. Well, sometimes you can't really gauge how your arrow, I mean, I'll answer all, all the stuff you asked
1: me about, but the, you can't gauge... How your arrow's flying <clears throat> by the way it goes into the target, because because it'll take sometimes it'll hit that the target and it'll take the path of least resistance. Like mm. if there's a there's a worn out hole and it'll it'll hit the target and then twist. Uh-huh. So you can't really gauge that. You have to go back to either having a trained eye watch your arrow flight, and or the, the best thing to answer it and build confidence is naturally paper tune because it's the bow paper tunes that you know approximately know, 6 feet, 10 feet, 15 feet, a, a good flying arrow at that distance is not going to start flying bad. So, you know, once it's on its good path, it's not going to like, oh, well, it, you know, my, my arrow flies good at, all the way to 20 yards, and then it starts flying bad. That can't happen. That can't happen. Gotcha. That can't happen.
0: Okay. The only reason it can do that is a bad crosswind or something. Yeah, I mean, it, there so, were some days it was very windy, so I mean, that probably did sort of throw me off a little bit. I do know that the arrows were flying weird right out the gate, because um, when I would shoot the lighted knock, I could see it like corkscrewing, or kind of fishtailing a little bit, and so... I mean, let me ask you this, hold on, um, well, are you shooting multiple colored veins, like multicolored? Uh, now I'm not, back then I was.
1: Yeah, because a lot of times, uh, people, you know, so many people shoot like one white feather and two red, mm-hmm. or you know, just an odd feather, as the cock feather, yep. and what happens as you shoot, you 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 let the arrow go and the arrow is spinning because there's helical and or offset in the vein because you know naturally a
0: arrow spins and your eye catches that odd feather so it'll appear like the arrow's corkscrewing. when actually all your eye is catching sometimes is the odd feather going around and around. Yeah and I mean thankfully you know now with the drop away and the bow set up different and arrow set up and all of that I've had no issues I mean they're flying like darts. But back then, dude, I was basically pulling my hair out with, with my whole setup because I could not figure out. Like I tried not tuning, uh, building, you know, some other arrows with a little bit lower GPI. So it had more FOC. So maybe that would help. Um, I mean, I probably moved my rest. I think I broke like three of those trophy ridge, you know, little plastic whisker biscuits just trying to, to figure it out. And I would tighten it down and it would break and it just became such a headache. So I said, you know what, forget it, I'm getting a drop away and that's gonna be that. And ever since then, it was fine. Um, so yeah, thankfully I highly recommend someone uh, you know, shooting a, a
1: quality rest. I mean I know everybody's on budgets and stuff, mm-hmm. but always put your money towards a good quality rest and you know, don't get me wrong, there are a lot of nice sites out there for three or four hundred dollars, <laughs> but a three or four hundred dollars sight's not gonna make up for a real crappy shooting rest, so you want the, the arrow to fly correctly because you could, at the end of the day, I know I sound like a broken record on this, <laughs> on this but you could aim with a toothpick glued on the side of your bow, whereas you got to have the, the arrow flying right. And then the other thing I was going to add to what you are talking about, talking about FOC, <clears throat> the quickest way to get your FOC up and or mass weight is to give yourself options is by shooting, some, uh, shooting a stiff arrow that has a low grain per inch. So it's a real light arrow not real light but usually the, a good number that that allows you to play with is somewhere between like eight to about half <laughs> a grain per inch mm-hmm. and then also try to don't don't shoot it the, the more you can cut off it helps the foc as well because the length uh helps you as far as the <clears throat> excuse me the leverage and increases your foc so I don't want you to shoot something that's dangerous to where you could possibly pull it off or yeah. shoot too short of an arrow. But, but don't don't let it be you know hanging off the front of the riser by three inches. You want to cut it as as safe and as short as you possibly can, and that will increase your FOC as much if not more than anything.
0: Yeah, that's something I've noticed too. Like with my so my draw length, you know, like I said, it's 28 inches. I actually cut my arrows to about 25 and a quarter, so they stop. Now I'm shooting with a half out. Um, so it kind of extends it a little bit. But yep. I th- I'm pretty sure the tip of my um, field tip, broadhead, whatever, is either right at the second burger hole or in between both holes. And I've had – that was one big thing that I was worried about. is was like, man, you know, if I cut this super short, um, I don't want it falling off and then, you know, maybe I don't realize it and I let go and then I'm slicing my hand open and now I'm in the hospital, you know. Um, right. And that's a big thing that I've noticed – with doing that is finding like a happy medium there um one thing i i really struggled with too is having an arrow you know because going back to my buddy andy he just bought a set of easton's uh easton axis five millimeters that i think he's shooting 340 um if i'm not mistaken and you know he's right at around i think 445 with like 12 percent foc and I told him, you know, because I listened to you and um, Michael talking about the, that Ultimate Arrow build episode y'all did. Because when when I reached out to you about this, I was like, you know, I want to kind of freshen up on it, really listen to what you know what you said on that episode, and kind of be able to you know dig into it a little deeper. And in that episode, you said you like something between 15 to 20 percent. So I told him that I was like, you kind of want to shoot around or you know shoot for. 15 to 20 percent and then he told me he has 12 percent and i was like well that's kind of on the low end it might work um he also was thinking about switching to fixed blades which i think you know a lighter setup light a little bit lower foc that'll probably help right right okay right meaning you know this is just these are just ballpark numbers i I don't want people to you know like
2: if they end up getting a build and it's 14.3 foc um and, you know, and it's, you know, 480 grains. Mm-hmm. I don't want nobody to think that I've set parameters that that this is the, you know, I, I got to do this. This is what T-Bone said. I'm just giving you numbers to shoot for. That's not the do-all,
1: end-all, because yeah. there's been a lot of critters that they don't care what FOC at the end of the <laughs> day. You know, you just are shooting for that, and that's where you kind of like to be because, I mean, there's hundreds of different bow models out there, and there's so many bows that are, have different efficiency range, and people put more weight on the string, and then they
0: have lighted knot. I mean, there's just so many variables. So
2: mm-hmm. I'm just trying to tell you what
1: to kind of shoot for. It's not like, you know, if you, you come to me with an arrow build and say, man, this is what I got, 13%. It's not like I'm gonna, you know, slap the back of your hand and say, man, <laughs> go back to school. You need to get better than that. I'm not gonna say that. It's just, <laughs> these are the things that you try to for in, in what I've seen in, in, you know, all the tinkering that I've done over the years. The best performing uh, setups have usually been in this in this realm, as far as a just a good, quiet, forgiving, uh, accurate, dependable, um, you know, hunting setup. Mm. Especially for well, I mean, well, especially once you get in that five hundred twenty-five grain uh, air, uh, arrow weight with that that FOC. I mean, honestly, anything in North America, you, I, I would have no problem. You know, brown bear, moose, anything. I, I have no problem shooting at any of that stuff. You know, and you know, you got a lot of other people that that speak, that, that talk about uh, heavier broadheads. Um, you know, or I mean, not broadheads, but heavier arrow setups. And 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 I'm never ever going to doubt or talk bad about like the you know the Ashby Foundation. Mm-hmm. By all means, it's going to penetrate better. However, there are some categories that you're leaving out that are you know that are as important as well. So you know, um, you know, a spear is going to penetrate better than an arrow. You know, a you know, we, we all know that. I mean, that's just common sense and mm-hmm. common physics. However, you're leaving a lot on the table, like we talked about at the start of this, where, you know, the variables uh, in, each, in each category, you want to be able to be within a certain uh, window on each one of those categories so that confidence-wise, accuracy-wise, all of these things you're hitting on all cylinders so that you know that your setup is a, a well-rounded uh, accuracy-killing hunting machine. It's nice to know. I mean, it'd be it'd be nice to go out there with a 700 grain arrow, and you, you know, and, and that was the only thing that you needed to worry about. But there's other things to consider, so uh, you know, you just can't you just can't go that route. Whereas between the broadheads we have and the arrows that we have, and once you get them set up, and you, we got all these options. You're able to build build a, a very efficient uh, killing uh, arrow. That you know, um, that's around the. Uh,
0: you know, 500 to, you know, well, I should say 475 to 550. That's the window that I like to try for everybody to shoot for. Gotcha. So for the guys that maybe don't have, um, well, honestly, I'll just give you the example that I've got. Um, JD shoots a Hoyt, I forget what kind, but I think his IBO is like 342. I mean, blistering fast, right? Um, He can get away With, because I think his setup right now is five hundred five or five hundred three or something like that, which is funny because last year, huh? That sounds excellent. Yeah, and and the thing is, I so I'll get to I'll get to the point of it. He his bow is much faster than mine. Um, Does that matter when it comes down to arrow bills? Like if you've got, say, my old setup, a three hundred fifteen at 28 inches, um, shooting sixty four pounds you know would you say a 500 grain arrow would still be good for that or would you say maybe go a little lighter to get the speed but maybe try to find like you know a light gpi arrow that you can build that still has a strong spine say 300 spine um that you can put a little bit more weight up front and then you still have that speed but you don't have the arrow weight like the arrow total weight um what would your build be for a bow like that well, it, it'll, it all boils down to, Eric, um, it, it, it really is what's more important to you, and, and at the end of the day, I don't think the critter's going to matter, you
1: know what I'm saying, it's <laughs> yeah. like, there's some people that in their head, it's like, man, you know, speed's important to me, I, I mean, I just can't get over the fact that I'm shooting 200, and you know, I'm just talk, talking, I can't, I can't, I can't. It bothers me to shoot 252 foot a second even though i know my arrows 510 grains. Mm-hmm. 510 grains is a good thing I, I i like that however man it's just really bothering me and if it really puts a chink in your armor as far as confidence goes then i think you probably should lighten it up i think you should lighten it up and get that speed to where if speed is the important factor for you you know not not the most then you, there's a give and take on all of it so mm-hmm. it really boils down to the to the person meaning like. I'm not going to say it's a problem whether you shoot, uh, you know, instead of shooting 252 with a 510, let's just say you shoot 265 with a uh, 475 or 480. They're equally both in the same wheelhouse. Does that make sense? It's not like they're so close that I I, I don't think you know. You know, it's not like well, that's wrong. There's not a wrong answer there. It's Mm -hmm. just what's important to you because at the end of the day again, accuracy wins and we know that archery at the end of the day also is a mind for it. it's so mental. And and if you've got confidence in your system and your setup that your groups actually tighten up by an inch tighter group, no matter if it's a 480 uh, grain arrow or 510, the tightness of your groups is gonna outwin
0: anything we do arrow build wise. That's true. Does that, does that so, yeah. I mean,
1: if you were, if we were talking 550 grand arrow versus 400, absolutely, I'm gonna tell you, you need to lean towards the heavier side. However, you know, as long as you don't dip below the, you know, like it's almost like a red line in a car. You know, like mm-hmm. you know, hey man, you're getting that, you're getting under 450 grains, you might want to be rethinking this. <laughs> that's that's when you're getting too far out of the realm. If that makes sense.
0: I got gotcha. you. Yeah, because I've been struggling and, with like you know, I, well, I shouldn't really say I've been struggling with, I I find, like I said earlier, that if I want to be a little bit more speedy, I can get away with 445. If I want to have a little bit more, I guess, punch to it. I like right now, my hunting setup, I just got a new set of victories that I'm going to start building. Um, I think they're at 16.7% at 459. So I'm still above, you know, 250 FPS, which is where I'd like to be, a little bit higher. I think I'm at like 2, 255, 257, something like that, which is almost 20 feet per second faster than what I was shooting last year. And I mean, the bow loves it, and my groupings have never been better. Um, I think, I think that's a great setup, especially for anything that we're hunting here in the southeast. I think that's, that's I have no problems with that whatsoever. Gotcha. So I guess that yeah. leads me into, so we we kind of covered the 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 general arrow build. Now I kinda wanna dive into a little bit of the component side, and then I have some questions about broadheads and, and setup and all of that, cause um, I've asked a few people, but they don't really explain it, uh, I guess, for, for a dummy to understand. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I feel like you would be able to explain it in a way that makes sense to anybody rather than just throwing a bunch of scientific, you know, mumbo jumbo out there that, oh, this, you know, because of this effect and the parabolas of this, and I'm just like, I don't understand what you're saying. Um, uh, yeah. Before we get to that, though, I want to ask you, aero veins. I have been through so many different aero veins, it's not even funny. Um, I started with the Blazers. I love the Blazers, but I know that they're kind of loud. Um, and then I've recently switched to the AAE Twins. Um, 20, I think it's hybrid 26s. Um, I did four-fletch. I didn't really like it. I, mean, I didn't see any gains. I didn't see any, you know, the FOC kind of dragged a little. I didn't, I didn't really see any reason to do it. Um, so I switched over to three-fletch, and I've done a massive, well, I say massive, a pretty steep helical. I think it's like five degrees left helical. Um, I got that idea from Elk Shape. And, you know, they were preaching it all. And they were like, oh, you know, a lot of helical's is good for this and that. And I was like, well, I'll try it. Um, and I haven't noticed any issues with it. But in your opinion, what would you say a good vein configuration for hunting would be? And what do you think about helical left and right, offset? Like, what what would you say, in your opinion, is, like, the? I guess you could say the right way to go or the more, in a general sense, just for the average Joe that's shooting, you know, what what we just talked about? What would you say yeah. would be like the best setup in that respect? Okay, in my, in my opinion, this is this is you know again this is my
1: opinion. Mm-hmm. That you can make them all work whether you're shooting a two inch blazer or or, or what have you. Um, I will go ahead and say right off the bat, I'm I'm not I'm not for I'm am I'm, I'm the type of guy that approaches everything from a pro and a con standpoint. Mm-hmm. Like what am I gaining from this? What am I what is not gaining from this. I do not see the, the advantages to a 4 fletch whatsoever. The only advantage to a 4 fletch is more drag, which is more steering. So if you're having tuning issues and or you're shooting too light of a front end, then you need the steering in the rear to keep the arrow on track. However, you're presenting more drag, so your trajectory is less, the arrow's gonna slow down, you're presenting more uh, drag, which is noisier. So, you know, if you're checking off the pro and con boxes, it's adding more weight to the rear. So, you know, I don't know the exact formula, but for every, let's just give you an example. For every two grains that you put in the rear of the shaft, you have to add four grains in the front to offset that to maintain solid FOC percentage. So, when you're adding weight to the front, Remember that taking away weight in the rear is equally as important to achieving higher FOC. So you can't just put, you know, a 120-grain insert system and a 100-grain broadhead on the front and then go ahead and pile four 3-inch veins in the back, a 30-grain lighted knock, and then, you know, 15-grain arrow wrap. You just defeated all the purpose of About what you put on the rear of the shaft to make sure you maintain the FOC that you're trying to achieve in the front. So I'm not—I mean, I'm not saying don't shoot four-inch vanes. I just personally, the only thing I see that they offer is a little more steering. Mm-hmm. But you can get good steering out of a higher degree offset and/or helical with a uh, with a three-fletch arrow as well. Now, me. Again, you can you can try to make most everything work. Me, I like a 3-inch vein, and the reason I like a 3-inch vein is because most 3-inch veins, like um, the, the, the ones that come to mind that are most popular is a 3-inch. Tack vein is a good vein. They're really stiff, so they don't make a lot of noise or fluttering in flight. Uh, the disadvantage to a tack vein, they're real sensitive to... Uh, Weather like Mm -hmm. if you ever hunt in real cold weather, they get kind of brittle. They're not they're not they're not they're not bad to fledge But they're not they're not super easy to fledge either And then also like if they get pressed up in a corner or they you know get wadded together They their memory. They don't bounce back real straight. So they will take a bend and they usually Maintain the bend. So I don't like that feature about them not bouncing back But it's a good vein when it's straight the next one would be something that's probably the most popular is the AAE uh, Stealth vein mm-hmm. um, or the hybrid in a three inch variety. Now it's heavy, uh, that's the negative to it, meaning it's got it's got ribs, uh, not ribs, but it's got uh, like grooves in it, mm-hmm. which causes a little more noise and they're, they're a little on the heavy side. My favorite vein, and it's a little more expensive because they've been around forever and they're probably number one in the target variety is a Flex Flex vein. They're not well-known in the hunting, but I the, the three-inch flex, flex vein is the vein that I've shot most of my whole life. I'm not sponsored by them. It's just a vein that I love. I've tried all the, the, a lot of the others. It's the lightest three-inch vein. It's the stiffest. Not It's not the stiffest. The tack vein is stiffer, but it's really rigid. It is the quietest in flight, and you can take a rubber band and wad it up around there, put it on there like you would uh, you know, a bag of chips or something like that, leave it for two days, take it, take it off, in a just a, you know, 70 degree room and within 24 hours, them veins bounce straight back just like you just fletched it. Amazing is the memory on them. Hmm. Um, They're wider at the base, narrower at the top, and I choose to fletch them in about a two degree to three degree offset. Now, left helical versus right helical, I personally um, have not seen that much difference in doing one way or the other. Some people, I usually fletch all my stuff right helical, or or I shouldn't say right helical, right offset, because it's easier the way the jig is set up, so you can see it, I can fletch better, I can fletch faster. Now, I know a lot of people talk about, they shoot the bear shaft, and you, you you fletch the veins based off how that arrow wants to naturally Spin. So when you shoot it, you put lipstick on there or some type of paint or or powder and you can see which way that the arrow is wanting to spin when you're shooting a bare shaft through there and that dictates which way, you know, if it's wanting to naturally, because of the twist in the string and the way the bow shot and the oscillation and the archer's paradox and it wants to spin the knock when it comes off the string left or right, you, depending on which way it turns is how you fletch it. I know a lot of people, Levi preaches that as well as a, a lot of other archers. And, you know, as far as accuracy goes, you know, what, what I'm, I, I have no reason not to doubt Levi's, he's, you know, top of the food chain as far as that goes. Yeah. Me, personally, I haven't been able to shoot the difference in whether you fletch it right or left and uh, don't see a difference in tuning wise with that. So I prefer to shoot them uh, right. I think, in my opinion, that five degree offset is, A bit much and a bit unnecessary a five degree offset or helical is equal to like four flex so it's going to create more drag it's going to your trajectory is going to change and as well it's going to catch a lot of noise um it it will make up for a poor tune bow or someone with poor form Mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons people shoot high offset and or helical and or feathers and or four inch veins because they need it for steering uh, you may want to go that route if you're shooting a big fixed blade broadhead but for those people who are shooting like mechanicals and stuff that are real aerodynamic i don't think you need that so i like the three inch because hear me out on a three inch a three inch flex flex or attack vane is a lower profile so the top of the vein is closer to the shaft compared to like a boning, uh you know a blazer vein which is real tall and when it's real tall off the shaft, uh, it, it tends to want to flop and it's a little noisy in flight. Mm-hmm. Whereas when it's lower, it's a lower profile vein. So there's a couple of good things about that. You don't, you don't have to worry about clearance on your wrist, on your cables or anything like that. Lower profile is quieter in flight. And then as your, let's just say you put a two inch blazer vane or a two inch uh, AAE vane or anything, when it's shorter, you put it on a two degree offset it only has two inches of uh, travel to handle that offset. Whereas if I've got a three inch, I've got more surface area. So if you measured like the acreage, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not using the, the, I guess you would call the square inches. There's more surface area on a three inch low profile than a two inch high profile. So I've got more surface area like a long wing on a, on a to, to do more steering and or lower profile to be quieter and it's been proven that it's quieter, so th- that's why I choose with it. I'm not saying you can't shoot and kill all kinds of critters with all kinds of different configurations, because you can, but I- I'm hoping I'm explaining it to you in a pro and con,
0: here's the positives, here's the negatives of why I choose to shoot a three-inch low-profile uh, vein. Yeah, I'm a... You know, uh... And I always shoot the lightest, uh, the, the absolute lightest lightest. and I, honestly,
1: I, I love lighted knots. I think they're great as far as because we film so much. Mm-hmm. And it, it, but I don't know that if I was just hunting on my own and not filming, I don't know that I would shoot a lighted knot just from the simple standpoint of the weight that it adds. I would rather use an OEM knot that is extremely consistent and extremely accurate versus a lighted knot that may not grab the string quite the same and or can be fatter than an OEM knot so you can't switch in and out and then also it adds weight to the rear of the shaft. So um, I, I shoot, we shoot the uh, Halo Knop, which they're I think 20 grains or something like that. They're, I think they're the lightest lighted knocks, and then I don't use wraps. Not that wraps don't look good, but I'm doing everything
0: I can to keep the rear of the shaft uh, as light as possible. Yeah, I, um, it's, <laughs> I'm glad you said that, because Andy was talking to me about, you know, wanting to use some, uh, some of those little Chinese D-Power knocks, because I used that last year. And I told him, I'm like, dude, don't. Because I was like, you're already at 12% without that. And, you know, shooting Easton, I switched over to the Easton. Um, I think they're called the Fit knocks. It's the one that's like super light. Or it's the micro light. That's what it is. And, I mean, they're like seven grains. I'm like, dude, just keep that. I was like, because if you add 30 grains or 25 grains or whatever it is to the back of that, just to have a lighted knock, it, 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 not only are you adding arrow weight and you're going to have to change your sight tape and all of that, like but you're losing foc and you're losing speed and i just it's the same thing you said the pro and con stuff i mean you explained it perfectly the you have to weigh the pros and cons and i i mean he does film i mean like i said he's got he's got that youtube channel so i understand the filming aspect of it but i mean he he's i'm trying to get him to sort of grasp the fact that like yes the filming side is important but Do you really want to miss a deer, possibly because you know you've, or or maybe not miss a deer, but maybe not get as much penetration as you would with having more weight on the back? You know, because that's one thing I've been telling anyone that asks is like, look, if if your spine is strong enough, weigh up the front, lighten up the back, and do whatever you can to do that. It's interesting that you said the helical thing because I actually tested that. Um, I had a couple that were you know, the five degree helical and they had the hybrid twenty six veins. I think they're like two point seven inches, uh eight point three grains, and I shot those along with just some standard, you know, right two degree offset and I didn't know it. I didn't notice any difference whatsoever. And so I was like, Well wait a minute, why are these people preaching, you know, you have to have high helical, you have to have max helical, blah 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 if it doesn't change anything. So it's sorta of got me Wanting to refletch my arrows again for like the thirtieth time this year, and um, you do have that high helical. I mean,
1: I'm not going to say it won't be accurate. I'm not going dis- to I'm not going to say that by no means, because it, it very well can. But you, you, you can see, especially if you're shooting groups at like fifty and sixty yards. Mm-hmm. And if the guys from Elk Shape are doing that, I know they're known for you know practicing or or at least showing shooting long distances because it could it'll sh- it'll show your drag at longer distances as well as. Um, you know, I would, I would, uh, a good way to test it, and, uh, and my theory is, is I feel like a deer, like, one, they hear the bow, you know, so when they're reacting, they're reacting to the sound of the bow. However, mm-hmm. I think they also hear the arrow bearing down on them, meaning like, you know how when a, a bumblebee flies at you and you hear, Meow! yeah, or like a mosquito gets close to your head, you know, yeah. you, you actually kind of pull away because you hear that air, that bumblebee getting real close to you, it's like, know coming at you Mm -hmm. so what i would suggest is like if you and your buddies are shooting together or whatever set you up like a three-quarter inch piece of plywood or something that's safe or you know park a car or something down near the target and you get about 10 yards from the target and let your buddies pass
0: you and you'll be able to tell the difference in a five degree helical versus a two degree oh yeah there's i mean it'll be like shh
1: I mean, it'll, it'll be zipping
0: by you. Yeah, I was at the, the range with a couple of buddies a few years ago shooting, and <clears throat> I was on a different target than they were, but where I was at, they they shot. Um, it, I'd, have to, I'd have to show you, but it, it basically there was a target next to another target maybe 20 yards away, and I was shooting the closer one because I was still pretty new to it. And mm-hmm. my buddy was shooting further back. So say I'm walking back from the target, the target he was shooting at on my left, he's on my right, and he lets an arrow go, and I can literally hear the, and I'm like, huh. At the time, I was like, that's a pretty cool sound, but now I'm like, wait a minute, I don't, I mean, yes, they hear the bow, but I want to try and quiet, quiet up everything that I can, um, yeah. just to sort of help, it won't hurt, you know, and that's been my biggest thing is, you know, I shot, um, JD gave me a bunch of arrows this past weekend after the shoot, and one of them... Or one of the sets he gave me had the Max Hunters on there. And so when I started practicing, um, I shot those because those will be my three D arrows. And I mean, dude, I could hear it from the second I let I hit the trigger. I could hear it going. And I'm like, well, that's not I'm not using that in, in a hunting situation. Not knocking them. I mean they're great, they're great veins. All the veins on the market are fantastic, but it's just I've heard that they're loud and then I heard that, and I'm like, Yeah, I don't I don't wanna do that. Same thing with the Blazers. When I went to the three d course a few months ago just to practice they were the loudest veins that I had and you know so i I mean you honestly you you're blowing my mind with this whole three inch uh suggestion I guess if you want to call it that that you're saying because like it does make sense I mean you know I know that you know most of us aren't really using fixed blades I mean a lot of guys are and I'm sort of jumping back and forth and you know we can we'll dive into that but um it it's It's interesting to hear you say it because it just it makes sense. You know, you have a longer vein that will help steer it, but you don't need to go four fledged to get the steering because you have the longer vein that has more surface area. That you know what I mean? Like, I mean, you explained it perfectly. So, well, a lot of a lot of people shoot the smaller veins, and
1: and 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 I believe this wholeheartedly. Meaning, like, so many people are kind of new to archery, and they don't they don't really you know deep dive into all the pros and cons and why. Shoot this and not this. Well, they see, they see professional archers and they see people who kind of are in the know. They see, see them shooting short arrows. Well, they don't want to show up at a range or around their buddies not shooting what they see on TV and mm-hmm. stuff. So the perception is, is if you shoot a two-inch vein, you know what you're doing. You know what I mean? Or you, <laughs> yeah. you know, that looks like a target area. Or I, I look more like a professional arrow, not knowing the the goods and the bads and the pros and the cons and. You know what you really need, so they they tend to shoot what the perception is rather than you know what what would really uh, perform the best for them and the reasons why. So that that's one reason why, and plus they sell better. So you know most all of your pre stuff is all in two inch veins, and Mm -hmm. you know there's not a lot of deep diving reasons other than these are shorter and they're faster and they look like you know what you're doing so oh i'm sold that's all you need to tell me they don't need to know nothing now so that's that and that's just been the trend for the last you know 15 years another thing that's a trend like that is uh rather than learning exactly how to execute a release so many people are going to a t-handle style release, uh even though if you're not a seasoned archer or someone that has shot a lot or really know what true back tension is, um, you probably would be better and more proficient if you just shot a wrist strap and a caliper or a, you know, index finger style release. Mm -hmm. However, the perception is somebody who shoots a T-handle or a handheld release looks like they know what they're doing and they're a step above the average Joe. So whether they know what they're doing or they know what to look for or they know how to set that release, they just grab a T-handle and they want to look the part with short veins and a T-handle release. I'm not saying everybody's that way, but I'm just saying that perception for those two items, uh, they get sold because of that perception, not necessarily that they're helping someone right off the bat, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, I, I completely agree. Like, I shoot a wrist release, and I won't ever shoot anything other than that, just because that's what I'm comfortable with. Like, I'm the kind of person that would be dumb enough to, if I was shooting a thumb release, or, I mean, I don't really know a lot about like back tension or hinge or any of that but if i try to shoot a thumb release i could see myself pulling back not thinking about it putting my thumb on the trigger and when i'm half drawn pressing that and it just gone you know so i i like the wrist release or the the yeah the wrist release because you know it's it's on you you feel it you have a spot that you can grab and then you can kind of you know go over to it and sort of have in my opinion more control um, but you know, I've I've never actually shot a thumb release, so I really don't know. I'm just not a huge fan of of them. But I know a lot of people are. Like JD shoots one. I know. I, I think you shoot one, don't you? Or do you shoot a wrist release? I, I I shoot them. I shoot them both. But for hunting, it just makes better sense for me to shoot a wrist strap. Just. But um, I'm not. I'm not against a
1: T handle or a hinge release. I mean, mm. my favorite release to shoot for accuracy and everything is a hinge. You know, that doesn't actually have a track trigger i mean that's what i've always shot in tournaments and stuff and i'm not anti key handle release whatsoever i think they are excellent they're really well made they're very innovative but i think a lot of them get put that are put in hands of guys that are not really 100 percent knowing how to embrace the execution and what it all means to shoot one of those correctly they just basically are going they're buying it for the look you know what i mean it's -hmm. like. I don't really know why I'm buying this, but I, all the people that know what they're doing are shooting, so that's why I'm buying it. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm not saying everybody's that way. I'm saying in, in in the hands of a trained professional, and most professionals, it is excellent. It's, it is a better it, it is a better way to do it. However, for Billy Joe Lunch Bucket and the masses, they would be better just to grab a wrist strap. You know, it serves a better purpose, and you can be more consistent with it. Oh, 100%. With those, yeah, but um, I, I mean, I'm not anti you know, a hinge, T-handle, thumb release, uh, it doesn't matter, they're, they're all excellent. I would just always recommend someone go with a quality manufacturer, you know, Trueball, of course, Carter, um, uh, those, are, those are all three uh, excellent release manufacturers and they all build all three styles uh, and they're all good, it's just, I was just making a point that so many people like, you know what, I've seen, you know, Levi Kosky uses this T-handle and I'm, I'm, you know, or so-and-so, you know, I see Levi using a T-handle, he looks like he knows what he's doing. That's what I'm going
0: with. You know, yeah. rather than understanding all the fundamentals of AT handling what, what uh, it takes to shoot it correctly. I gotcha. So, before yep. we dive into the broadhead thing, um, mm-hmm. I have one more question about kind of just, I guess, a general thing. Um, when it comes to tournament shooting, so like I told you earlier, me and JD made it into the state qualifiers for the ASA shoot, um... You know, which anyone listening, it it's not that hard. You just have to shoot the qualifier. But uh, I was looking at our scores, and we weren't that far off from guys who have certain setups that you know, say magnifiers or lenses in their peeps. But we don't have that. Our setups are like our bows and everything are basically our hunting setups. Um, right. Do you think that? And obviously, you know, this, this really isn't like a yes or no. I guess, but it's more of just a your opinion, like you know comparing the two if we go into this this shoot in july with having the same setups we have right now no magnifiers it's it's we're in the known 40 class so we obviously know what the you know what the yardage is um do you think that without the magnifiers and all of that stuff that we would have a chance of basically placing well because we were only well, JD was, and he was, he was off by, like, I think maybe 20 points, but I was off by 40 points from the highest score. And I, I know what the guy was shooting. You know, we, we ran into him on the trail and all that other stuff. Um, do you think that having the just basic hunting setups that we have, that it would maybe be, like, uh, doable to get a consistent score close, if not higher, to what they're using with, like, the higher-end equipment? Or would you say we're kind of a little bit handicapped and maybe have to, you know, try to figure out a way to practice in a in a, in a way that we could try to get those scores higher? I, I guess if that makes sense. Yeah.
1: Um, no. Uh, in that in that instance, because you know, in in ASA and a lot of those in ASA and a lot of those um, classes, they you know, it's specific to what you can and can't shoot. I would highly um, you know. You, you are at a disadvantage not having magnification and the reason why is because the magnification gives you more um, definition of the target Mm -hmm. so that you can see where to hit the target you know rather than you know if it's magnifying it at you know two or three or there's not a lot of people shoots over four power Mm just because it's too strong but it does make a difference as far as uh, you know being able to see the definition and/ or looking at a crease like knowing that you got to aim you know one inch low and two inches right of this crease or this arrow hole or this knock that's there the better the definition you know it makes a 40 yard target look like you're sitting at 20 gotcha. so I I, uh, I, I do it, it is an advantage now not to say that some people you know every dog has his day and some people you know shoot non magnification extremely well and the advantages to not shoot magnification is when you put magnification in it magnifies how much you're moving so when you're looking at that target you know with no magnification let's just say you're humming you know because everybody moves when you're aiming it's not mm-hmm. like you're rock solid everybody has a little movement but when you put magnification on that it's going to really magnify it and then what happens is, is usually your confidence suffers a little bit because you tell yourself at 40 yards i'm sitting there Aiming at as a target and I'm seeing myself move so much and I'm like oh my gosh there's no way I can shoot this shot I'm moving too much I'm not going to execute a good shot so your shot suffers so then sometimes your accuracy suffers a little bit but if you can work through that and and uh, you know and keep your confidence high as far as definition goes it, it can really lock you in so the only really negatives to it are um weather you know so if it's raining that's mm-hmm. a pain sun glare that's a pain you know dirtiness that's a pain if you've got a lens in there and uh, it it magnifies you moving but as far as definition if everything else is okay and you know if you've seen watched any competitions usually other people in your group will hold an umbrella for you to keep the shade off of Mm -hmm. it so that you can execute a good shot so there's ways around the problems that you have with the glare that comes with a lens uh, but It certainly does give you a definition. I would say we always did when I was shooting tournaments regularly that a that a lens versus no lens, especially on uh, longer targets, was a a, a, probably a solid. It all depends on how the course is set and depends on the lighting, but an average of six to
0: twelve points per round, it's. I would think, yeah. Wow, because I mean, all I was doing was aiming. Basic. I mean, I did try some twelve ring shots. You know, we had our binoculars, so I kind of knew where they were at. <clears throat> but um i was just pretty much going for vitals you know sh- trying to hit tens and you know it, it worked out i mean i shot like a 184 or something there was a few times that you know i looked back and i was like man i should have just went for the 10 when i was trying to yeah. hit a 12 and i'd get an eight or something um honestly my goal is just not to get a five so thankfully i didn't but um you know i just wanted to ask you because i mean you you know you've i mean you've won a, a world championship haven't you Yes. <laughs> so there you go. You're gotta ask. Um, oh, real luck nineteen ninety one. I've seen you shoot. I wouldn't say it's luck. I'm I'm pretty sure that you, you you've got a you've got a knack for it if I had to if I had to take a guess. Yeah,
1: actually I shot a, I shot ASA from eighty nine all the way to about two thousand two. I never missed one them or the IBO tournament, so I shot a lot of tournament uh, ASA and three D
2: tournaments all across the country, but Well things kinda switched. Started doing uh you know, hunting in with Realtree in front of the TV, and you know, so my
0: I stayed in the outdoor industry, but my career path changed a little different. Started yeah. a family and such, so I didn't have as much time to still compete. So I think what what needs to happen then, if you have the time and if you feel like gracing us with your presence, is yeah. if you're able to, you should uh, maybe make an appearance at the state the state shoot in July. It's in ace. So it's in ace. I <laughs> Yeah, I almost went to the uh, Fort Benning shoot down there. The other,
1: and I and it's been several years, but I did some of the announcing and stuff like that. It's probably been ten years or so. But throughout the 2000s, I would I would go to. Them. I miss I miss shooting and I miss going, but um, my eyeballs are nowhere near like they used to be. Well, I can certainly tell that now.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's uh. See, I wear contacts, so I remember when we were there this past weekend. Man, it. it it was cold and the wind was blowing and my eyes were getting all watery and everything was kind of, you know,
2: yeah.
0: thrown out of thrown out of whack and I'm like, man, I have to wipe my eyes after every single shot. I mean it was it, it was good. It was a lot of fun. You know, it, the nerves were there. I mean, it I kinda got in my head, you know, because I'm like, man, my bow whole setup probably costs half of what these guys' bows do. But I mean, one thing JD did point out is the fact that our scores weren't that far off. So he was he's all like, man, you know, if we just practice and do this and that. We you know we might be able to win with with lower setups and I'm like hey you know I'm cool with that like I don't have the money to spend on you know a bunch of expensive 3D equipment especially when you know really at the end of the day I'm a bow hunter I'm not a 3D shooter so I'm not going to be spending a ton of money on that stuff if if I do well I do well if not then it's all good so yeah and actually I think they've got some bow hunter classes you could go out
1: there almost with a in a bow hunter class you know and um, I, I think they keep the distances like under 35 and they're all But the only, uh, you know, they're all bow hunting type situations, and all you got to do is just, you know, you got to judge the yards for sure. But, Mm -hmm.
0: um, you know, we didn't have known distance courses whenever I shot. It was all, you had to judge it all the way out to 60 yards. Well, see, I was testing that when we were there because we'd walk up to a target, and before we even shoot or before we even range, I would be like, okay, you know, we'd walk up to our flag where our distance was at. And I told JD, I'm like, yeah, that's probably about 35 and it'd be like 32. I'm like, well, see, <laughs> like I'm getting there. But, um, yeah, I actually could have done the bow hunter, um, division. The only problem is I have a slider sight. I don't have a fixed pin. That was the only thing that was keeping me from doing that. So I think next year I'll probably invest in like, you know, a CVE or maybe even a dead ringer. Cause you know, I have an old one upstairs that broke on me. Um, so I could get like just the, you know, cheaper one that they've got of that and probably go shoot bow hunter next year. Um, yeah, but that, uh, that company auction archery, I've been playing with their sites, man. They are super nice. Golly. Dude, they are. They I've seen them. They pins and
1: there's a lot of nice sites out there now, man. I mean, they actually perform better than I can. So <laughs> <laughs> I need to stick
0: to the stick there. Jeez. Well, look, man, yep. um, before we wrap it up, I have, I have to, I have to pick your brain on this. Um, yeah, with the whole broadhead deal. So I'm not going to say who it was last. Actually, I think, yeah, it was during season last year. I asked a certain somebody who preaches arrow stuff. It wasn't you. um, Because, you know, I, I I didn't want to really, I didn't want to bother you with it. Um, You know, I, I kind of, I try not to blow your phone up every day when I have a question. Um, So I reached out and I was like, Hey, you know, I'm kind of curious when it comes to mechanicals, and this person does not like mechanicals. Anyone listening probably knows who I'm talking about. You probably know who I'm talking about, but they're not a mechanical fan. And I said, if I have high FOC or high arrow weight, would that be better for a mechanical to not lose so much energy when it hits? And you know, I'm a huge fan of the mega meat. And when that broadhead hits, you know, three long blades, it does dump a bit of energy. Would you say that, I guess, high FOC and maybe a little bit heavier weight would help that, or would it be kind of like... Because the way they described it is, the heavier the arrow, the more energy it it dumps when the mechanical opens. And for me, that didn't really make a lot of sense, because then I'm like, well, then why not push for a lighter arrow with a mechanical? You know what I mean? But I know that's not right, so I figured I would ask you. If you're shooting a mechanical you know, do, would you say that a high FOC arrow would be better? And I know it kind of goes back to what you were saying before about the arrow builds and the weight and all of that, but, you know, just just for the mechanicals alone with that energy dump, would you say a higher weight, higher end FOC would be better or maybe a lower weight with high FOC? or yeah, what? It's, the same, it's the same physics whether you're shooting a cut-on contact or you're
1: shooting a mechanical. Uh, um, it's... It, just because you have a heavier arrow and a heavier FOC, um, I think what you were saying is the person said because of that
0: it's going to lose its energy faster? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was kind of like, what they, the way they described it was that if you have a heavy arrow, say 600 grains, okay, just kind of going on the extreme end there, and you have like a mega meat, they were saying that when that arrow hits, that the heavier the arrow, the more energy it's going to dump which didn't make any sense to me. Well, it if they, if,
1: depends on how they're meaning it. Meaning like if in comparison, if you shot a 600 grain arrow with a mega meat on one and you shot a 600 grain arrow with a cut on contact, mm-hmm. yes, the mega meat would take a little bit more energy to open than the fixed blade. The, the, the fixed blade cut on contact would definitely penetrate better a single bevel would penetrate better. Mm. However, again, it comes down to those categories like we're talking about, you know, so that you're hitting on all cylinders. Would you not rather have a arrow that is in the FOC and it has three large cutting rather than having like an inch and an eighth cutting diameter and rather than having, um, you know, susceptible to planing and not flying correctly, especially at longer distances, Would you rather not have a three blade mechanical broadhead that is very aerodynamic, that is extremely accurate, that when it does get to the animal, it may lose a little bit more kinetic energy than the fixed blade. However, it's gonna have a two inch cutting diameter, which is gonna do mass damage. Granted, if you centered a shoulder or a leg bone, you've got trouble whether you've got a cut-on contact or a mechanical, either one, mm-hmm. there's trouble there. I don't care that you're shooting a single bevel. If you're shooting where the leg bone is, you've made a bad shot anyway. Now, let me ask you this. Everybody keeps preaching about, you want it to go through the leg bone. You want to be able to penetrate that, and I I understand that that is important on penetration. And that's why I'm trying to let folks know to shoot a higher FOC. And, uh, heavier arrow but is it not equally as important if you miss and you hit towards the front of the animal and hit the leg that's a problem and and we're aiming towards there but isn't it equally a problem if you go the other direction and you shoot that animal in the gut now if you happen to hit it in the gut which that happens as much if not more than someone hitting in the shoulder i would rather know penetration not going to be a problem going through the gut and I'd rather know that I got a two-inch, huge, three-blade hole going through the gut, rather than a one and a an 8th inch sliver. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing more massive hemorrhaging damage, and I've got a better chance of finding my animal if I happen to mess up and hit it in the gut with an expandable than I do with a, you know, a rhinoceros arrow that
0: went through there at an inch and an 8th slither. You can't make it <laughs> cut anymore gonna go through. Yeah. And my see what I mean? Everybody mm-hmm. talks so highly about the, the bone and the,
1: the shoulder, you got problems either way no matter which area. But if you're going in the back, there's a whole lot better chance of finding it with a big hole than it is the other. Now granted mechanicals are not for everybody. However, if you are the meat and potato style hunter, you know, someone that's a twenty seven to a thirty inch draw that you know, able to pull 60 pounds, 75 pounds, you know, the meat and potatoes of 80% of all hunters. Absolutely, for shooting critters that are definitely elk size and under, and you shooting, a you know, a 450 to 550 grain arrow, I have no problems in recommending a rear deploying expandable. I'm not so much a fan of the expandables that fold back over themselves because those do rob the arrow of kinetic energy. And if it's an angled shot, or hitting a rib of some sort, it can deter the path of the arrow. So once the arrow comes in at a quarter and that, that blade flips over itself and it causes the arrow to veer off left, right, up, or down, that means the energy is no longer transferred right down the center of the arrow and keeps on pushing through. The energy is transferred off to the side and you've lost energy and you've lost penetration but like I've said so many times like with that Mega Meat or Broadhead that the blades are exposed and they're rear deploying let's just say worst case scenario it's not going to happen I don't know that it can happen but let's just say that you welded or super glued your Mega Meat or Dead Meat blades completely shut it will still kill an animal because those blades are 100% exposed it won't be a 2 inch hole it'll be more like a inch or an inch in a 16th hole, but it is still going to do the job for you. So that's a complete confidence booster for me, knowing that, let's just say, worst case scenario, somebody at G5 forgot to make them where they undone, and they're all welded shut. I know I can still kill a critter. Would I rather it be two inches? Absolutely. And most all, I mean, they all are, but to help your confidence, knowing that it's tightly packed, aerodynamic, you've shot you know, 11 and a half months of the year with your field points and you know how accurate you are and then you go ahead and throw on a broadhead and you're, you know, to, to get practice up, and then you see your groups go from three inches with field points to eight or 10 inches with your fixed blade broadheads. And then all of a sudden, all this confidence you had all year long has just tanked because you're seeing that your fixed blade broadhead and you, the way you're shooting has really suffered because of shooting that. Whereas with a mechanical, you know, I'm assuming you're the average hunter like we just talked about. She mm-hmm. puts the mechanical on there and his groups are still good, still tight, still accurate. Your confidence is high and you got a two-inch cut going in there with the accuracy. Confidence is high and accuracy always wins. Yeah. I'm not saying, like, again, I can't reiterate it. I can't say it's not for everybody. And if you're going rhinoceros hunting or you're going to shoot Cape Buffalo, absolutely. You need a single bevel. Cut on contact because their rib bone structure is like a hardwood flooring. It's overlapping. You are not going to be able to shoot one of those critters without going through bone. But when we're hunting white-tailed deer, or you know, 250-pound bears or smaller, or you know, 200-pound hogs or less, what we're talking about will do just just fine. Mule deer, even elk. You're on the upper end, like we're talking about, 500 grains. Uh, Absolutely, you're fine with elk. As well, been hundreds of critters killed with it. So that's my thoughts on it. I'm not never going to say that I'm anti-cut on contact, single bevel. They do what they say they do. However, again, it goes back to hitting on all cylinders and all the categories that we're punching. You're going to excel in a lot of other categories by shooting that mechanical, and your confidence and accuracy is going to go through the roof. And that is as much, if not equally important, as to shooting through a cinder
0: block, if that makes sense. Yeah, and that's why I'm sticking with the G5 expandables. And what you just said, I don't want to hold you too long. I really, really don't. But I have two more questions I gotta ask you, and then you know we oh, can, we fine. can wrap it up. Um, how important is aero speed, considering? And I'm just gonna use the MegaMe as an example. If last year i was shooting 238 to 240 and now i'm shooting 255 does arrow speed taking taking the the weight of the arrow out of it does arrow speed have any impact whatsoever on that or like can you shoot basically could you take like a traditional bow shooting 180 and compare it to like a like my bow at 257 or whatever does the speed matter when it comes down to an expandable
1: I think it would be more, uh, it, 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 it doesn't matter, it comes down to kinetic energy, meaning like I wouldn't recommend it for a recurve, yeah. you know, because it is going to, I mean, you know, I, you, you just want to make sure you get enough penetration, meaning like if you're shooting, if you're shooting less than 250 foot a second, you're pulling less than 60 pounds, or you know, which means you, you probably are shooting a real light era, or, you know, a lady or a child I wouldn't recommend it uh, as much, but those people that are shooting those are not going to have as hard a time tuning a fixed blade broadhead because the arrow is going so slow. It's going to be a lot more tunable. We run into problems as the average bow hunters when we get up there, you know, 260, 70, 80, 90. When we get an arrow going, that it, it, it makes us one the bow geometry. The riser shape and stuff is not as forgiving because it's going faster and then therefore it makes us have to be uh, more machine-like so when you get an arrow going that fast it becomes a little tricky Mm -hmm. but we we need that forgiveness of a mechanical and or you know rather than being i mean i'm not saying that a kid couldn't use it however i sleep better at night just saying usually i try to recommend with mechanicals 60 pounds or more, definitely, you know, 55 would be about the least I would shoot. Mm-hmm. I mean, if somebody's pulling less than 55, I'd say it'd probably be best to shoot a fixed blade or a cut-on contact dial head, but you're not going to have tuning problems like you would if you're shooting 290 foot a second,
0: if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense, and it was just a thought that I had. Um, the last question I have, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw you uh, a personal one. Okay. So... With my setup, 28 inches, 60 pounds, uh, 459 total arrow weight, 17% FOC. You got Mega Meat, and you've got Dead Meat V2. Which of those two, for my setup, would you say you would recommend? Because I love how big the Mega Meat is, but I really like the new V2 that uh, G5 made with the Dead Meat. And I'm just thinking of like penetration and and all of that. I mean, if If you were me, and you were trying to decide between the two, which one would you go with?
1: Well, I would. would, uh, It's either one you wanted to choose. I I would not steer you one way or or the other, as far as um, you know. Like they both would do the job for you. I would probably go with the Dead Meat V two. The V two. The blades are a lot sharper. Not that they're not both sharp, but the Mm V two blades are. I mean. I, I use terminology, they'll cut you before God gets the news, they're that sharp. <laughs> the dead news, plus it's an inch and a half cut, which is good, and it's even tighter and more aerodynamic, I, and you're going to penetrate better with the an inch and a half. I mean, I don't know how how you would measure that, you know, it, it's really null and void, but a three-blade inch and a half cut with those sharp blades, I, I think that's a, that's a deadly combination. I would probably lean more towards the Either one is fine, man. I mean, honestly, you can mm-hmm.
0: roll the dice and pick either one and you're, you're going to do fine. I don't I don't think you've got to shoot the difference in them. But, it, you know, if, you, if it comes down to it, I would probably I would probably go towards the dead meat V2. Gotcha. Okay. Because I've seen them in, like, for the longest time they've been so hard to get. And now I go to Bass Pro or Cabela's and they're everywhere. And I'm like, dude, I, I really want to try these. But, you know at the price point, I didn't want to get them and then just not use them, because I have so many broadheads upstairs. Like, I've got Old Rages, I've got Sever's, I've got Exodus, Montex, all, like, a lot of the, I guess you would say, more popular ones, but the only deer I've ever, or the only broadheads I've ever used on deer would be a Rage, which was when I was shooting with a crossbow, which that thing was ridiculous. And then... Well, um, that's not a bad head now. I mean, everyone that you mentioned, I'm not one of these, I mean, I, I am partial to the Mega meat and the Dead meat. but mm-hmm. all those heads you
1: mentioned are good heads. I mean, the designs of them, rear deploying, um, and the Exodus, it it, uh, it wins a lot of the tests as far as penetration and durability of a lot of a lot of them out there. So, there are a lot of great brown heads out there. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I hate to keep harping on it, but accuracy is going to win. If you put a darn sharp field point exactly where it needs to go, it'll kill them, but Unfortunately, we are humans and we make mistakes and we're shooting at a critter that moves, so therefore we need a little help. So a bigger cut in diameter and a more forgiving arrow and a quieter flying arrow, all these things we need in our favor. So, um, you know, as far as that goes, I mean, there's hundreds of broadheads out there that kill critters every year and they're excellent. But the biggest thing is accuracy is gonna win and you, whatever arrow you're shooting and whatever broadhead you're shooting, you need to have the complete confidence that it's going where you want it to be and that that's gonna do Uh, serve anybody better than just throwing knuckleballs down there and like man I hope I kill this thing you know (laughs) your accuracy and your confidence is always going to
0: win yeah I mean honestly man I couldn't have said it better myself because Andy has been really struggling I told him to watch um, Lusk Archery Adventures because that dude tests basically every single broadhead on the market and it hurt my feelings a little bit when he tested the MegaMeet and was like, I don't think I'd use this. I'm like, I don't think you've watched enough videos on this broadhead, man. <laughs> like, it might not have performed well in your yeah, test, but... Yeah, it... the thing I hate about um, a lot of the
1: broadhead tests, I mean, a lot of people do that. The thing I don't like about them is they test them on, like, going through wood, going through uh, ballistic gel. That's not, that's not, real, that's not real testing. Mm-hmm. I mean, these broadheads are designed to be shot through critters, meaning like the best way to do it would be to take like a thick bathroom towel and wrap completely around a watermelon, Mm -hmm. you know, and shoot through that because, I mean, honestly, an animal is self-lubricating, whereas ballistic gel has always, it's got pressure coming 360 degrees, so blades do not perform correctly going through ballistic gel like they would in a real animal. Mm -hmm. And then also, like if you shoot through wood, you know, to see which one's going to hold up the best. Um, that's not that's not real testing either because you know um, it's, it's not you're not having to go through something like that. Don't get me wrong, it does show which one's tough, but that's not like comparing apples to apples. You need to, you know, um, I would gladly have, a three, you know, a lot of people shoot the two blades, you know, and they like the two-inch cut of the two blade, but a lot of times there's only two blades going through, and it's going in between ribs and stuff, so the odds of one of those blades getting damaged is is not as much. But with three blades, you got a thirty three percent more chance of a blade getting damaged. However, you have thirty three percent more surface area. Just like we were talking with these veins, you're doing more hemorrhaging. It's a two inch cut with three blades. Think about that. That's thirty three percent more hemorrhaging. That's thirty three percent more slicing going on. So I can afford to have one of them snap off in a rib and I'm still
0: doing as much damage or more than most of your two inch two blades yeah and i mean i've noticed like when i shot um my last deer three years ago with with the crossbow and i had the rage i think it, was, it just came out it was like the rage no collar or something like that um i mean i don't know if i'd ever use a rage on a compound but and that's not knocking rage i mean I've, i i know that they can work great and i've heard so i've heard really good stories i've heard really bad stories but I can say from experience, just in that situation, that deer didn't make it 20 yards, and it the the blades were a little mangled, but you can replace them. And I mean, the ribs were snapped in half. So I, I, you know, I get what you're saying. Like the the extra blade helps, and I think that right right there is probably why I am sticking with like you know the G5s and all that, not because of how strong they are, but just because of the fact that. You know, they're the only broadhead on the market I've seen that has that type of design that isn't, like, a fold back or has some collar that can just slip off. And, I mean, you know, Pickles is living proof that they work. And, I mean, he – I think I sent you the picture when I shot him, um, which I still give you a ton of credit for being my lucky charm on that hunt, man, because it happened two days after we recorded that first episode. Um I mean, really, and, and the, the hole that it left was insane. It didn't pass through because it, you know, embedded in the offside shoulder and it was a quartering away and, you know, I'm not going to go into the whole story, but it um it did its job. And that was my thing is like, okay, I didn't get a pass through. I know my arrow wasn't flying correctly. My bow was slower. Uh, I'm pretty sure my poundage wasn't where I thought it was because, you know, I tested both my bows and I'm thinking like my, I have a, a Blackout Intrigue, which was my first bow that I got and they advertise that it maxes out at 70 pounds. Well, I maxed that thing out, pulled it back and it was at 64 and I'm like, well, what the heck man? Like what's going on here? And my bear is at 60, I've tested it a thousand times and it stays at 60. So, you know, just kind of going with all of that, it the, the Mega Meat and the Dead Meat, I preach to anyone that says, what mechanical? You know, a lot of people like Sever. I'm a fan of Sever. I love Sever. But it goes back to what you were saying about, you know, the blades and everything. I would rather have three blades cutting than just two because, God forbid, one of those break off. Well, now you've only got one blade cutting, and it's probably going to veer off and, you know, deflect and all of that. Um, I, do like the, I do like the point that with the Sever, uh, actually, the, um, a good friend of mine, Randy Omer and his brother, mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're the ones that... Uh, invented that broadhead, it was called the Ulmer's Edge, and yep. then actually bought it, and they renamed it Sever, but
1: I do like the fact that you can lock the blade down and practice with it, that is a good thing yes. about that, but like with the, uh, with the, the, when you you said that you didn't get a complete pass-through, and because you hit the offside shoulder, to, to help with anyone's confidence, is thinking about that, like, like I said, well Eric didn't get a pass-through on that. You lodged in the offside shoulder. Mm-hmm. Even if you had a fixed break broadhead, that's going to happen. That's the same thing is going to happen. It's the, the, the the end game is going to be the same. You're going to lodge in the offside shoulder. If you're aiming for that offside shoulder and, and that happens, that broadhead really has done everything it possibly can. It's went through all the goodies. It's went and done all the hemorrhaging it possibly can. The only thing is you don't have an exit hole, potentially an exit hole on the other side to drop blood on the ground. Other than that, He's going to die at the at uh, the same speed. You've done all you can do. Oh, yeah. The only yeah. thing a passer would do would be you'd have two exit holes, so blood would be on the ground. Other than that, he's going to die at the same rate. I, I'll, I'll take getting an offside shoulder every time, breaking that shoulder down. I mean, you've done your job, your accuracy. You can
0: leave that kill with complete confidence, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, it was amazing, dude. Like, he only went maybe 70, 75 yards, and, you know, it, it – it it did its job like you said i mean when i when i gutted him and i pulled everything out and saw the lungs man it was like ribbons i mean it was unbelievable what that broadhead did and that's the thing too is like people want to and i know i'm kind of rambling on here but people want to sit there and you know critique a broadhead and there's some out there that i'm like i would never use that but there's others that I see videos on. Just like I said, when when uh, Lusk Archery Adventures did the test on the Mega Meat, and he's shooting it through, you know, a bunch of different things, and I'm I'm watching it like, man, that's not that's not legit. The most legit video I've seen of testing was Joe Miles was testing Rage Sever and Mega Meat, and what he did is he took, I believe he built like a uh, like a wood box, and it wasn't super thick. Uh, wood, it was like really thin plywood, um, and what he did was he put deer hide over that, and then in the in the box he made like a gel, like a big Jello concoction thing to sort of simulate like you know um, organs and stuff. And the yep. Mega Meat did fantastic. I, I mean, it it performed flawlessly. Did it bend a blade? Yeah, but they come with replaceable blades, and it's super easy to fit or replace. So I don't have an issue with that. You know, like if I can replace the blades, I'm cool with it. I don't mind. It gives nope. me something to do. Because it's uh, it's fulfilling so many positive things in a lot of different cate in other categories. That's just one category to consider. <laughs> I mean, that's not a do-all end-all, and
1: I'm not saying that that's a. I don't consider that a failure in my eyes, especially shooting mechanicals. I would gladly give up uh, a broadhead for every deer I ever kill. I mean, don't get me wrong. A lot of people preach about these these heads, single bevel. Which are awesome, and if you if you want to buy six heads and shoot them for the rest of your life and keep them sharp and stuff like that, I, that that those are going to be tougher. But there's so many things that it's going to let you down in other categories that it's not going to be as fulfilling. So um, not to say that not to say that one's better one's better than the other. It's just these are the categories this one's best at. And this is the category this one's best at, so it's, it's. I'm not, you know, not trying to poop on anybody's parade. It's just they're different. It's just like, you know, the Corvette or my, you know, Chevrolet twenty five hundred. They're both going to take me to Atlanta, but they're not going to do it the same.
0: And I'm one. You know, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. They, they perform the job, but they're not going to do the same. Yeah, and, and I mean, you know, the. The, the fixed blade thing and the mechanical thing, like, dude, we could sit here for hours and just completely go back and forth? I mean, it, it's it's one of those things that'll never, never be it, it's a debate that will never end, you know, because there's yeah. always new stuff coming out. Like I know uh, you know a lot of companies are looking at like probably trying to figure out a way to, you know, get more penetration out of a fixed blade. I know that the, the mega meat doesn't take a lot of pressure to deploy. And that's been a big issue that a lot of people have run into with certain you know mechanicals that, oh, it just didn't deploy, and there's plenty of reasons why. I mean, you know, I I, I can't really I can't really think of any off the top of my head, but I have heard that, horror stories. You know, the mega, they
1: deploy. I've yet to see that. What? I mean, they just. I've yet to see that them not deploy. Meaning like, they they deploy. I mm-hmm. mean, I I me Michael and Nick and then plus I mean. I've, I've not had that complaint I've had nobody tell me I mean I, I don't mean I guess I I, I mean I've, I've yet to hear that I've yeah. yet to hear that Man my mega meat didn't deploy I, I've yet to hear that I mean seriously I just don't It only takes three pounds of pressure And I, I just don't see that I yeah. mean I, I don't It can't not I mean it just has
0: to Yeah And I mean I haven't heard anyone say that About a mega meat. I've heard it about other stuff Which yeah, has I, kind of turned I, me away from it but. Especially those that are
1: Fold back over themselves. Those those, I've I've heard some stories on those before. and and again, a lot of people kill a lot of deer with them. A lot of people love like the Grim Reaper and the the NAP uh, Spitfires. I mean, a lot of people shot a lot of critters with them. It's just, I think if you you know shot a thousand critters, I think you're going to have a lot more failures
0: with them than you would with the rear deploying style broadhead. Yeah. No, I I completely agree.
1: Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, again. I sound like a broke record,
0: but confidence and accuracy is always going to win, no matter what you're shooting, so. So what you're saying is accuracy wins all the time. It does, man. I'm going to have shirts made up for everybody here soon. Hey, well, I will be one of the first ones to buy it, because I'll tell you what, I probably say that about 20 times a week, honestly. Yeah, and a slow hit is better than a fast miss. <laughs> yep, that's true. Cool, man. Well, yep. look, I've kept you long enough. You know, I don't want to keep you away from the family and all of that, and I've got – um. I have to get up super early for work tomorrow. i got to drive out to Augusta and then get home and practice for the shoot. But T-Bone, dude, having you on is always, you know, one of the most exciting things. You always drop awesome knowledge, man. Um, Before we get off of here, is there anything going on you kind of want to do like a shameless plug for? You know, maybe just some videos that might be coming out or maybe, you know, maybe some bone collector products that are going to be dropping this year or just anything that you want people to know? got a lot of new uh, shirt and hat designs coming. Just stay connected to bonecollector.com
1: and as well as, you know, up on social medias, me, Michael, and Nick. Um, Michael has absolutely, I feel so sorry for the guy. He, you know, he he dang near kills himself every turkey season, but if you've been following him, man, he's been all over the place, taking a lot of uh, good people. He actually took Theo Vaughn and uh, Caleb Presley turkey hunting, down in Florida, uh, that's a good podcast. Actually, they did a podcast talking about going turkey hunt for the first time. So he's got to, um, you know, be with a lot of people. He just killed his first ghouls turkey down in Mexico, uh, and uh, so you know we're we're real stoked about that. Um, I think he's got the world slam now. So Michael has been traveling like nobody's business, man. I know he's ready to get home, but uh, just stay in touch. You know, he's uh, he's the official. Spokesperson for Outdoor Town. Now we got new episodes coming out on My Outdoor TV, which is a great app, and uh, you know everything that's coming down the pipe. Actually, we're filming a commercial for Chevrolet tomorrow, so uh, we got a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff, just all, always changing. We're still the same, but we're still growing too. So we appreciate everybody's support and just hanging there with us, social media and, and our website. And,
0: Look at all the new stuff dropping. RealTree's got a lot of stuff coming out as well. Yeah, they uh they've been pretty much blowing up my Instagram stuff. Man, I you know, I, I got to try to get Michael on. That would be that'd be one hell of an episode cuz he that man cracks me up, dude. When he gets fired up about certain things, I could listen to it all day long. I probably watched his video that he did a few years back on YouTube talking about like aero setups and you know, whatever works for you and he gets all fired up about it. And I'm just cracking up Because I'm like man He's saying the truth he, he is But it's it's in a way That people can relate to You know Oh
1: yeah Yeah and he'll do it he'll, uh, I doubt he'll do it Between
0: now and probably June Because of uh, uh, turkey season yeah. And everything But yeah see, Over the summer I'll, I'll connect you too He'll do it Nick will be glad to too I'll Yeah know. dude I would Nick love that him, But Nick will do it as well I would absolutely love that Nick, Nick is hilarious too man I watch him and his See what I like about Nick Is his energy Whenever he's hunting man It's like you can tell that he's doing what what he loves, you know, and and a lot of these people on these shows try to make it this super serious thing, and it is serious when you're taking the life of an animal, but it's, I like to see it where it's more of a personal feeling, you know, you see the guy being excited, it's not just, look at me I shot a 220 inch deer, I mean yeah, that's fantastic, that's awesome, congrats but, there's no better person to be in camp than Nick, man, he is he, he absolutely, totally embraces Whole thing. I mean, we we all three bring
1: something to the table, and I guess that's why we've got together. You know, we've gotten along so good over the years, and I mean, I, I would I would have to say that we're as tight now as we ever been. You know, everybody talks to me and Nick all the time about you know when y'all are going to get your own show, or when you're going to do that, and I'm like, why would I do anything else? I mean, I, I'll be a bone collector till I'm, the day I die, or you know, they fire me one, but. No, we were we're just as tight as we've ever been, man. I, I, I love those guys. They've been so supportive with everything that I've been going through here the last year and a half. So, um, no, just we're we're blessed that people still like to follow along and, and listen and you know be a part of our extended outdoor family. And you know we appreciate y'all so much. And just keep paying attention. We'll we'll
0: uh, keep providing content and certainly somebody to laugh at. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, y'all are my favorite show to watch for sure, man. So you, whatever y'all are doing, keep doing it. Don't ever change it because it's, it's the best out there, in my opinion. I appreciate it, Eric. Yeah, man, hey, good luck with everything. And then uh, if you need anything, holler and I'll I'll, uh, I'll be uh, anything I can help with, and especially, and make sure you put them all in the middle come tournament, seat, tournament time. Yeah, I'm going to try. <laughs> I'll do what I can. <laughs> all right, buddy, I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you so much, man thank you for listening to this episode of southeastern bowhunter podcast if you don't mind go on apple go on spotify wherever you listen to this and give us a five star review it really helps out and you know i just want to give all the glory and all the thanks to god without him i wouldn't be able to do any of this we wouldn't be able to do anything without him so Just needed to throw that out there. Thank you again for listening, and don't forget to give us a review.